Well, on the recruiting front, just about all eyes for Dan Lanning are in 2024. And so far, off to a good start. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. You may notice I am donning a distinct red jacket today. That is because as we record this episode... It is just before I leave for the flight with the Southern Utah women's basketball team. They're dancing for the first time in program history. I get to call the game on radio on Friday. Stoked for that. So I got to rep the T-Birds here and give them their due credit. And we're always happy to have John Garcia Jr. to join me here on the show as well, our Locked On Recruiting Insider. John, it may be basketball season, but football is more on the minds of uh, Duck fans right now, given that both teams unfortunately missed the tournament. Couldn't be Southern Utah, though. Dancing baby, but good to have you on the show. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, it, it's a fun time of year, and uh, look, a lot of these kids are going to make visits and, and watch a little March Madness along the way, so it should be cool. It should indeed. So recruiting now is almost entirely. We will still get to that one outstanding name in the 2023 cycle, but the recruiting focus for Dan Lanning and his staff, as crazy it is as it is, and it really is wild to me, is on 2024. And it's very early in the process. There are just five commits, and that's, I feel like, pretty standard for this point in time. Last year at this time, I think Oregon had three or four. But so far, John, off to an incredibly strong start with five four-star recruits having already committed to the Ducks. What do you make of that right now for Dan Lanning and his staff? Yeah, it's it's a strong group, like you said. Four of the five are, are right there in that Pac-12 footprint, and you've hit some priority position guys in that process with Fox Crater, the offensive tackle from Washington, which is always good for Ducks to, to go into that state, uh, I'm sure, from a rivalry perspective. Uh, and then Jackson Jones, the pass rusher out of Arizona, another you know sort of enemy territory footprint to try to dig into more and more as those metro areas uh, improve. Uh, and then your highest rated commit maybe is Tysir Denmark, the receiver from all the way across the country in Pennsylvania. So another sort of example of the Duck brand uh, sitting as a true national one uh, from from all angles, but certainly as as pass catchers, you always feel like Oregon's going to be in the mix for many of the nation's best, and they've already got three pass catchers in this class. So premium position guys and pass catchers being built uh, in early. Pretty good start, as you mentioned. Uh, naturally, the elephant in the room is the quarterback position, but those targets are developing for the Ducks. They just offered Air Nolan, who's maybe one of the top two or three uncommitted QBs in the class, a four-star out of Georgia coming off a state title season. I think he threw for like 4,500 yards last year, and he's a dual threat, so a lot to like about Air Nolan's game. He's taken a bunch of visits and and taking the process a little bit slow, so if he can get out to Eugene, you, you like where you stand there. And and then there's other, you know, more long-standing targets, right, whether it's, um, you know, Isaac Wilson, the BYU legacy, younger brother of Zach, Luke Moga from Arizona. There's a pretty strong QB board that's developing uh, for the Ducks. Uh, And they're going to be in the mix as usual for uh, some of the nation's best. So that's the next step in this class. But yeah, the foundation is good and all the big visits are still ahead of it. So you're in strong position if if you're a Duck fan. It's interesting that the last couple of years, we've seen Oregon from an offensive skill position standpoint, recruit 
backwards, right? <laughs> Usually it's quarterback and then skill positions fall. But right now, just like in the 2023 cycle, I mean, they had Jurion Dickey. They had Kyler Casper. They, like, they had all these guys before they landed a, a top quarterback commit. And, and I look at the two wide receivers that are at the top of the 2024 cycle right now for the Ducks, which, you know, sits at seventh in the country, but there's there's a long way to go on that particular front. But, you know, let's say you keep at least one of these guys, Tysier Denmark or Jordan Anderson, who, you know, have a composite rating just over 95 on on 24-7 four-star recruits. I think as you look to the future, it makes a lot of sense that they would be going after this position because I don't remember how many years of eligibility Treshawn Holden has, but he's spent at least two at Alabama, mm-hmm. I believe. And Troy Franklin has probably gone to the NFL after this year. And you have some other promising names in, in the mix, to be sure, right? The Kyler Caspers, Jurion Dickies of, of the world. But that's a position where it seems like pretty soon Oregon is going to need to you know, have some high-level recruits coming in because Troy Franklin has been so good, and I, I expect him to have an even better year uh, this season as well. Yeah, so you, you've you got to recruit towards towards balancing out your roster. And, yeah, if that is the – if you see multiple takes at one position that's not O-line or D-line this early in the game, it's usually an indicator that it's going to be a, a bigger class, at least – in principle and in, in desire from the program's perspective. So yeah, it wouldn't shock to see three or, or four, maybe even more wide receivers brought into to this Oregon class because of, of that developing situation. And look, after spring ball, it might be even you know more clear from the Oregon perspective. And you're also potentially up for attrition after spring ball. So all of this is is fluctuating and, and fluid in nature. But usually if you're you're zeroing in on commitments this early at positions like that, it's going to be a bigger haul from a volume perspective. And I think positionally for Oregon in the 2024 cycle, I think linebacker is going to be addressed more from the high school ranks than it was in the 2023 class where they took, I'm pretty sure just one actual mm-hmm. linebacker in Jerry Mixon. They, they've got a number of edge players in there, you know, Blake Purchase, Tatum Tuioti, those sorts of guys. But like traditional linebackers, they do have some who are grandfathered in from past classes who are promising recruits that haven't played a lot or at all in their Oregon careers like Harrison Taggart and Devin Jackson. But I think wide receiver is a position. Tight end is a position. They've got one of those as well. North Medford kid always likes seeing the Ducks get those uh, four stars that are coming out of state. Last four-star pass catcher to come out of Medford, I believe, was Chase Cota. And he worked out uh, pretty pretty well, I, I would say. But the other one that I don't think Oregon's going to have a big emphasis on for 2024 is defensive back. Not to say they won't go get some, but they added a lot. Defensive back and defensive line. I mean, they almost overloaded with that in the 2023 class. So I I expect at least that they won't have that same sort of volume barring a barrage of transfers after the season. Yeah, and it helps you play with that narrow focus, right? You can prioritize guys a little bit earlier in the process. And that's how you get, you know, in early on a Williams Nwarney out of Kansas City, who's, who's very high on the Ducks and David Stone. So these other defensive linemen that are, you know, above four stars that are going to be centerpiece type players uh, wherever they end up at the next level. So, yeah, that helps you do that if you feel comfortable taking a smaller number. So it's it's the opposite of, of what we said for some of these skill position uh, groups that are already, you know, larger than smaller. Yeah. And, and you know, up front, you're always going to add a lot of bodies. It's kind of the 
it's, it's kind of the nature of the beast. You got to add a lot of guys there because some will develop quicker than others. Some are more ready-made. You know, I mean, a, a guy like Brandon Dorless, for instance, on the defensive line was a developmental piece. He's turned into what will one day be, I think, a pretty solid NFL player. But he was a middling three-star recruit at the time. But he's developed in that sense, and his body is developed as well. And that applies to the offensive line where you have – you know, some guys that take a little bit longer, but then you have your Josh Connerlys who can step in and play right away, probably will be Oregon's left tackle this year. But what about the geography? What about where Oregon needs to go? We'll talk about that after we talk about FanDuel. It's past the midway point of the NBA season. March Madness is literally here, happening as you listen to or watch this show, most likely. So you need to go get America's number one sports book. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You can also download the app, which is safe, secure, and super easy to use. All right, so geographically, it's always a fascinating discussion on the recruiting front because you've got a lot of great players. You know, the I, I think Oregon as 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 a program needs to be heavily or have have a have a pretty good presence in two of the three big states: California, Texas, Florida. I don't think you need to be in all three consistently. We saw more Florida kids with the Mario Cristobal staff, sure. but now Dan Lanning and company. I think are kind of shifting that to Texas in addition to California and California has always got to be there, right? Like that's just a necessity. And I think Oregon is going to be able to continue to do that going forward. But are there any other areas that, you know, you, you think Oregon needs to prioritize and how do you see that balance of focusing on SoCal versus focusing on, on Texas for the staff? Well, those I think are the two primary states. You know, I think there's there's really uh, from a volume perspective and a talent perspective, it's got to be those two. So, so the question becomes to me, Spencer, does Florida kind of permanently hold that number three spot, or could another state creep up on it? And, and interestingly enough, we've talked about better talent in the state of Arizona over the last few years in particular, of course, in that Pac-12 footprint as well. I think that's the state where you're going to see more uh, duck efforting, um, not only because, look, Kenny Dillingham is, is now down there and you expect Arizona State to recruit at a bit of a higher clip, but the talent level there is seemingly rising at a steady pace uh, each and every recruiting cycle. We've already mentioned multiple Arizona recruits uh 11 minutes into this podcast, right? So <laughs> yeah. naturally, I think Arizona is going to be the, the next state where we start talking about it, uh, almost like we do with Florida from the Oregon perspective, where it's like you've got to hit it consistently. I think California and Texas are a given, especially following you know the most recent staff changes at Oregon. That's going to be consistent for the Ducks. Uh, so it's about those next tier states. Uh, and I think Arizona is the one that's trending up. Florida will always be there, of course. Uh, Oregon and Washington and the rest of the Pac-12 footprint are always going to have a presence, but I think Arizona is the one to keep an eye on. Yeah, and and Oregon's already got a commit from the state of Arizona, and I I'd be surprised if you could find a class dating back to 
ever, honestly, when they didn't have at least uh, one or two players, if not more, from the from the state of Arizona. Jackson Jones, four-star edge out of uh, Yuma Catholic down in Arizona, is the, the 2024 commit that, that they have right now. On the 2024 front, uh, before I get to a, a listener question that I want to pose to you, what what's what's the confidence level at this point in time that these guys will end up choosing the Ducks? Because there's a lot of time between now and the end of December, right? I mean, sure. they, you know, they've been committed for a few weeks. Uh, I think, you know, they all have different dates when they've verbally committed. But we know that this sort of stuff can change. I'm sure there are people listening or watching right now thinking, well, we don't even know if those guys are going to, to be committed. But I remember one of Oregon's first commits in the 2023 cycle was Cole Martin. And Cole Martin ended up staying w- with the Ducks. So at this point in time, of those five players, how many do you expect the Ducks to actually land come December? Yeah, until until they really start to take a bunch of visits elsewhere and, and truly keep the door open on there. And you always feel like uh, the, the Ducks are going to be able to hold on to the majority of the recruits that that they want to, uh, especially this time of year, right? It's incredibly early for, for folks or recruits to feel – um, you know, convicted enough to make a decision this early in the process does typically show uh, some staying power. You know, if, if you commit as a sophomore or as, a, you know, your first offer, you jump in on and, and commit, that's a bit of a different situation. But I think if you jump in, in, in sort of the window of, of where most recruits rise end of junior year into senior year, you typically have a little bit more staying power. And, and that's where the majority of, of these five kids jumped on board for the Ducks. So naturally, you, you give them an, an organ, frankly, the benefit of the doubt to hold on to the majority of them. But of course, you know, there's so many circumstances that can and will change all of this, right? We mentioned the transfer portal window opening in the month of May, the entirety of the offseason and summer official visits, spring visits are still going down. Uh, and then these kids have a whole another year of, of high school ball to play. The, their status, those evaluations, all of that will be tweaked before we get to that uh, December signing period. So a lot of it can and will change. But as things stand right now, uh, you feel pretty good about holding on to the majority. Recruiting never stops, literally ever at all points in time. I wonder if coaches can even put their phones on do not disturb when they go to sleep at night. They I mean, should. Like, they should try. <laughs> yeah, they should try. They, I <laughs> they, they, sh- they should try. Um, I wanted to pose this question. It came in a while back from uh, a listener, which I always appreciate. And just a reminder, Duck fans, YouTube comments, Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open if you want a question answered on the show. Never not once has a question that has been sent to me by one of you gone un- unanswered here on the show. And I will never change that. So Robert Henshaw says, what is your prediction for how many modern-day football players pick Oregon in the 2024 class? Now, I read that question and thought, that's oddly specific, but modern-day is one of the most prestigious high schools for athletics. Yeah, probably the most in the country. They generate, I mean, they're they're the sort of place that has, you know, several blue-chip players on it. And then you look at the roster back in time and you go, well, wait a second. Their 12th best player was a three-star recruit who was a three-year power five star. You know, like that's, yeah. that's, that's very much a thing. So how much of a priority is going to specific schools or is it more just kind of the, the Southern California region? Well, yeah, I was going to say, we, we talked about California always being that A1 pipeline state for the Ducks. And that will remain the case sort of forever. If you went 
to another layer or two on that, it would then go to the Los Angeles and SoCal area. And it would probably start there at Modern Day or, or St. John Bosco. There's already three or four monarchs, uh, former monarchs on the current Oregon roster. And, and you always expect uh, Oregon to be in the running for uh, these types of recruits, because as you said, uh, it's a prestigious program in one of the most fertile areas in the country. And, and they don't discriminate at modern day. They churn out recruits at every single position, typically very good in the trenches, but we've seen that thing balloon out. They've got a quarterback, Elijah Brown, who's a blue chip, who's uncommitted, multiple O and D linemen uh, that are very high level and, and national recruits that are going to be, you know, US. it's going to be USC, Oregon, and then insert other schools, whether it's Ohio State or Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M. They're going to be national battles. Uh, with modern day recruits every single year so there's a bevy of them every year it creeps into the double digits in terms of how many are power five worthy so if you're oregon you just kind of want to keep that pipeline going as as much as possible and grab at least one at least one of those guys every single year and and if you look at the current roster again there's there's a handful of, of ducks that came from the program so that never hurts in trying to further uh, the, the the pipeline that could be building with with any school, especially if it's if it's a modern day. But there's no doubt um, that Oregon will will be in the mix for most of them. Yeah, I, I think it's a little early to try and answer the question of how many specifically. I believe from the 2023 class, the answer is two. I know it's at least one. Lipe Moala, the the offensive line. Yeah. I'll I'll check on that here uh, real quick. But I, you know, from a specific school. You mentioned the number of, of high-caliber programs from a recruiting standpoint that are going to go after players from that school, and you have to factor in position of need. I think it's it's an interesting question. I don't think it'll go above three. The most likely answer is probably one or two, yeah, but so. it's all dependent upon need, upon fit, You know who else is involved. NILs now is such a big factor in this space. Uh, It's definitely a a school to watch for. But Mateo's from uh, St. John Bosco, which is kind of Mm -hmm. the same sort of area. And as I go through the 2023 uh, commits, I think it is just the one from from modern day. Uh, and that's Lipe Moala, three-star uh, offensive lineman, who I think you mentioned in, in the past is probably a little little underrated at uh, at at that spot. Um, big big guy, big big guy, six oh, yeah. six three thirty. Uh, you compare that to the the twenty twenty four offensive line commit the Ducks have, who projects as a tackle, Fox Crater, out of uh, Evergreen High School in in the Vancouver Washington area, six six two eighty five. I mean, you're talking about fifty pounds. Less, I feel like Moala's more kind of an interior offensive line build, mm-hmm. and Crater looks a, a little bit more like a, a tackle in that front. But I mean, fifty pounds on the offensive line—that's a—that's that's certainly not nothing. But my my, my prediction, I'll go with two. I'll I'll go with two. There was one this past cycle. I'll go with two for modern day, just just go. for fun. There that's, you go. And look, that's, a lot of those kids are typically taking the process a little slower, right? Because modern-day guys have offers early, uh, and they hit the visit trail hard. Uh, so, so that's going to be uh, something you know to track later in the cycle for sure. But, yeah, you, you expect Oregon to always stay in the game for right. those kids. Yeah. Last thing I want to ask you about on today's show. Two quick things, frankly. Number one, Deuce Robinson. Do we have 
any update there. It's the only 2023 recruiting name out there. Mm-hmm. I would be so down for Oregon to get him. I think he could play right away. He could make an impact right away. Has Oregon been able to get on that visit radar for the 2023 five-star tight end? I haven't seen it confirmed. Um, he's still saying the right things uh, when Oregon pops up. But I think that baseball schedule is pretty tough to to contend with this time of year. It's sort of showcase season, right? The MLB draft is in the month of June, and, and Deuce is a guy whose stock is, according to most, rising. So um, he's still going to be weighing that decision. But from his standpoint, he wants to lock it down pretty soon. You know, he's, he's talking about the month of April. I think he wants to make a college commitment no matter what and then allow the rest of the draft process to play out. So then in the summer – It'll be sort of another conversation point, regardless of which school he picks. Is it now college versus uh, maybe going the pro baseball route? So this is obviously an incredibly layered recruitment. I, I do think USC has swung the buzz their way just a little bit more. Uh, I've even heard some package deal conversations between Deuce and, and Dylan Rayola, the number one quarterback available in this class of 24 both Arizona guys. We talked about the state of Arizona, both yeah. Arizona guys. Um, you know, obviously uh, Rayola's a top target for, uh, for Lincoln Riley. So if that works out, I do think that that could potentially influence Deuce, but Rayola's also looking at Georgia, which is the school that held a lot of buzz for Deuce uh, separately. So that's, I think still uh, potentially uh, a destination for him. Texas is in there and Oregon is in there somewhere thereafter, but for the ducks, it's always been about, can you grab, a spring visit. And I haven't heard anything tangible enough to say, yes, they're going to get sort of that puncher's chance last, last shot before a decision comes in. So unless Robinson pushes back his timetable a little bit, I do think the ducks are, are probably on the outside looking in. All right. Last thing that's more of an abstract thought that popped into my head. I wanted to ask you is, you, you know, Oregon's recruiting profile has increased significantly over the last five, six years or, or so with going back to Willie Taggart, frankly, and then Mario Cristobal, you know, took it to heights that we hadn't seen it get to before. And one thing that changed was the number of five-star recruits Oregon was suddenly able to go after and able to ultimately land. Now, some of them have really worked out. Kayvon Thibodeau, that worked out pretty well. Pretty good. Noah's, Noah Sewell, <laughs> that worked out pretty darn well. But then there have been others. Dante Manning is still on the roster and is not a surefire starting corner going into year three. I think it is year three or four. I, I don't even remember at this point. He's been in and out. He's played, but he hasn't popped. Justin Flo had all the hype in the world. Second highest rated commit Oregon's ever gotten. Didn't work out. I've talked about how I think that was primarily due to injuries. But sure. you look at the five stars that pop at other schools and the ones that haven't popped at Oregon. Is there a magic elixir that Oregon is missing on that front? Or is there just a random, uh, an element of randomness to even the, the most highly sought after recruits? Because like on the surface, there's no reason Dante Manning shouldn't be an elite shutdown corner because he's more athletically gifted than everybody else, but he just isn't at this point in time. What, what fails to click there? Well, you mentioned he's a great example, right? All the physical tools, the height, weight, everything requisite to, to the highest degree he's that so you fast. want that you want at that position. But the things we can't track in the evaluation process are how do you assimilate? How are you from a maturity standpoint, the technical elements, the intricacies of the position, are you more of a zone or man guy? How does that fit in with what Dan Lanning wants relative to the rest of the, of the cornerback room? I mean, there's so many factors that you just have to kind of wait on. And, and I think it's perfect that you mentioned four former five stars, half of them, 
really panned out the right way, half of them not quite. And I think that's probably reflective of most five-star groupings in the country. You know, you, you look at any of the schools that are pulling multiple five-stars a year, and you you probably see about a 50-50 uh, requisite difference between the two. These guys hit the ground running immediately. These guys, you know, kind of kind of head scratching. What what's going on? They're in, they're in the portal, or something didn't work out um, at their at their first collegiate stop. I think that's about right from a numbers perspective. If, if there's 32 five stars every year to mimic the first round of the NFL draft, about half of them are are pretty instant impact guys uh, as true freshmen. And I think we saw that across the country in 2022. But there's another half that are have already hit the portal and or are, are really struggling to assimilate to the next level because these guys are five stars based on height, weight, speed, high school production, domination, and, and trajectory, but you can't really project the mental. You can't project the non-physical traits that it really does take, especially in this day and age of social media, so many distractions, NIL, all this stuff, the mental fortitude it takes to truly buy in uh, and, and hit the ground running at, at the next level. Because look, it's still a big jump. Even for the most dominant players, you're still jumping to the next level where you're you're not the, the biggest, fastest, strongest guy on the field every single play. So even in, from that standpoint, it's a lot mentally to grasp, much less everything else schematically and, and as things get more sophisticated in, in the collegiate game. Normally, I would add my own thoughts to that matter, but that would just you know, that would be diluting what was a pretty perfect take on uh, that particular question. John Garcia Jr. (laughs) John Garcia Jr. is our recruiting insider here at the Locked On Network. John, appreciate it as always. Thanks for having me. Safe travels, man. Enjoy it. Thank you. I most definitely will. And Duck fans, I'll get you the link on uh, Friday if you want to tune in and hear me talking play-by-play style on the radio as Southern Utah takes on Notre Dame in their first ever March Madness game. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.